Welcome to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, a podcast where we cover the current trends and thoughts in the fields of sales, marketing, innovation, leadership, entrepreneurship and strategy. And I am your host Mukesh Gupta. Welcome Sarah to uh, Pushing Beyond the Obvious. For Thank first you. of all, thanks a lot for taking time and talking to us. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, so for 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 the people who are, who will be listening to this podcast, if you could just uh, introduce yourself, um, the body of work that uh, you've done so far, and how it is that you've reached what you're doing right now. Um, well, that could take two hours, so I'll try to do an abbreviated <laughs> version of that. Um, the work that I'm Sarah Robinson, and I'm the author of a book called uh, Fierce Loyalty, Unlocking the DNA of Wildly Successful Communities. Um, I'm a speaker. I'm a consultant. Um, I'm also a mom, as you know, um, and I've done a lot to get to um, my brand of fierce loyalty. Um, as you mentioned before we started, um, escaping mediocrity was um, the work that I was doing just prior to fierce loyalty. Um, but it's really all the same. Um, as I was working through what I was going, I knew I wanted to write a book, and as I was working through what I was going to write my book about, um, what became really apparent was I. Um, when I do business, no matter how far back you go in my business career and even into back into college and stuff, the way I get things done and have always gotten things done is to build a community uh, around what I'm getting, what I'm, whatever it is I'm trying to get done. And I do that for two. I've done that for two reasons. Number one, it's way more fun um, to do work that way, um, and it's also easier. It's more efficient um, if you've got a community to that buys into and is enthousi- as enthusiastic about the project as I am. Um, it's just easier to get it all done. Uh, so that's um, why I always built communities around what I was doing, and um, and then I did research to see if what I knew about communities uh, actually, it, was it unique to me the way I did it, or was it, you know, could I, found, could I see commonalities in the communities that I thought really um, had it going on? And I looked at a lot of different communities, nonprofit communities, for-profit communities, small communities, mom-and-pop communities, brand communities, whatever kind of community I could find, brand communities, to see what... Um, to see what I could discover. I really didn't know it was a great research project, and I'm, I'm a geek enough to love a really good research project. So I spent a lot of time researching and um, really looking at what are the commonalities, are there commonalities, and lo and behold, there were. Um, communities that do it really, really well have and share a fundamental DNA. Now, if you ask them that, oh, do you have a DNA for your community? They'd think, what are you talking about? They, they don't know that. Um, it's just what my research has pulled out is this fundamental DNA that all really fantastic communities and strong communities share. And so that's um, where my research led me, and that's where my book uh, came from, and that's the work that I do now. I really work with organizations, large and small, who want that really strong, fiercely loyal community built around their brand. So that's, that, in a nutshell, is my work. Super. So there's there's just too much to unpack here. Uh, Before we go in there, uh, I want you to give me a couple of examples, maybe, of really fiercely loyal communities 
and of dysfunctional communities. So, so that we have the start. Oh, you want dysfunctional? You want me to? You want me to tell on the dysfunctional communities? <laughs> Both. Um, Both. First on the fiercely loyal communities and uh, dysfunctional communities, so that we have the okay. difference as you know what each looks like. Sure, sure. Um, well, my favorite community to use when I'm teaching and when I'm um, illustrating fierce loyalty is the Harley Davidson community, Harley Davidson motorcycles. Um, and the reason that I use them is because they really understand fierce loyalty. And what I mean by that is Harley riders, I mean, they have their own identity. It's called the Harley Owners Group. And that is the community that Harley Davidson as a company is dedicated to. They understand that that community is really the most important thing and most important asset of their company. And when you look at Harley Davidson riders and you look at that owners group, I mean, they People wear the tattoo, they wear the hat, they wear the T-shirt. I mean, who doesn't want your brand tattooed all over people's bodies and, you know, bumper stickers? And here's the really telling piece about how fiercely loyal they are. Should a Harley rider, God forbid, total their motorcycle, they're not even going to look at another brand. They're not going to look at a Honda motorcycle or an American Eagle motorcycle or any other kind of motorcycle. And it's not because the motorcycle itself is so fantastic. I mean, the motorcycle is fantastic. I'm not dissing that. But the reason they're not going to change the brand of motorcycle that they ride is because they would have to forfeit their membership in the Harley riders community. And they're simply not going to do that. They're just not. That's how fiercely loyal they are not just to the motorcycle and to the brand, but to the community, that brand community. And so to me, they really sum it up. Um, a couple of other communities that I, I really like and am paying attention to, GoPro has really developed a fantastic community. I'm crazy about them for many of the same same reasons. They really highlight. They for, make for which community did you say? I, GoPro, I, I kind of the GoPro. Yet. The GoPro cameras, those GoPro cameras that GoPro, uh, GoPro are the okay. cameras that people wear on their head. Um, ah, and, okay, 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 now I get yes. it. Um, and what they really do well is they make their owners, the owners of GoPro cameras, are the stars of the show. If you go to their website, there's a whole thing. It's about the people who are using GoPro. Um, and so those are some examples that come to mind of communities that really, really um, have it going on and understand how to build a fiercely loyal community. Okay. Apple. And, and any example of Apple's this, another, this other, Apple's another great one. Yeah, and Apple's another one because everybody okay. knows that Apple, you know, yeah. if you sit down next to an Apple user and you're not an Apple user, you will be told how lame you are that you're not part of the Apple community. And I've watched Apple owners who do not know each other sit down next to each other, and there's this instant affinity for each other, and they have a million things to talk about. So Apple's also another great example. I'm not really... I'm, I'm a part of that community as well. You're a part of that community? Yeah, you, you're, you all are snobby, and we love you. We understand that about you, and you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you don't care that people think that, you know, you apple, you apple people. <laughs> But you love it, and you don't care. You, You're fine with that. You 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 can't uh, you can't uh, 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 I can't tell you how many times I've been told that you apple you apple guys. you apple people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have friends who are apple people. I get it, sort of. Um, but here's the thing: GoPro people, Apple people, Harley Davidson people. You guys don't care. None of those communities care that the rest of the world doesn't understand you. That's fine with you. That's great. And um, that's what I love. That is one of the signs of a really fiercely loyal community. Um, so those are three really strong examples that some listeners will understand and identify with. Um, you know, I'm not really a fan of pulling out dysfunctional communities um, too much, um, but what I see, I can speak in generalities, what I often see are brands that try to falsely launch a community. And when I say falsely launch, they want to dictate how the community goes. They want to control the community. Um, and they think that they can build a community, and if they build it, people will show up. And what they haven't done is what the three communities that I just talked about, what those three companies, businesses have done is they've turned over community ownership to the owners. I mean, Apple lets Apple users sort of drive that community. Harley riders drive that community. GoPro, uh, GoPro users drive that community. And so the communities that aren't working, what I can usually see pretty quickly is they don't trust their community enough to turn over ownership. You know, they have they have decided, brands have decided what the community wants. They've decided what the community needs. They've decided what the community is going to get, and that's and they want to try to dictate the community. And I, I've never seen that work ever. So, I, so, so why, do you, why do you think so? So why do you think uh, that's the case? I mean, uh, any marketer would understand, uh, 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 can read a lot about the fact that you know, if you're trying to run a community, it is always best that uh, you let the community decide what they want to do. And uh, uh, and still, there are so many brands, so many communities which are which kind of start and then go nowhere uh, uh, because of all the reasons that you just said. So why is that happening? Right. Fear. It's fear. I mean, and I, you know, sitting in the CEO chair, it, and I talk about this when I'm working with my clients, it's terrifying to turn your brand over to people and you don't know what they're going to do. You don't. You don't know what they're going to do. Um, and that's a scary, scary thing to do. But here's the thing, and I can use Uber as an example because Uber is, you know, right in the crosshairs and crossroads at the moment because Uber is a community-built brand. They rely completely on their community, and they are grossly under fire right now, and their community is sharply divided. There are the community people who've had it with Uber. They're not going to use Uber anymore. They've made their decision, and they are on that side of the argument. Then there's the Uber community, I am one of them, that says, I love I love the service that Uber delivers. I am loyal to Uber. Um, 
And Uber is letting that play out. They're not trying to control the community. In the, and they are in a PR crisis, but they're not trying to control it. And that's terrifying. It takes an immense amount of confidence. Um, the CEO's got to have confidence. The, you know, and they have to know their community and trust their community. And that's a terrifying thing. Um, for a brand to, to step up and, and do. Very interesting. So um, before we uh, go forward, uh, I would want you to also tell tell us a little bit about why is it so critical for uh, brands to have uh, communities, number one. Uh, number two, what turns these communities into loyal communities and what differentiates some of these loyal communities from these fiercely loyal communities that you just spoke about? Right. I know that's a lot of questions, but that's a lot of questions. But we'll 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 just take one at a time. Uh, what was the first one was why is it critical? Um, I believe that we are seeing a rise in communities being built around brands for a couple of reasons. But the first and foremost is we do not trust advertising. We do not trust marketing messages. We as consumers. Is, are in such a distrustful situation now with um, businesses that the only thing we trust really is what a peer says about a brand. Like if I want to know about um, a brand or a service or something, number one, I ask my friends. I'll go to Facebook. What do you know about XYZ? Because I want to know what my friends actually think and what their user experience actually is. Because, I, you know, marketing messages – they're loud, they're noisy, they all start sounding the same. You don't really know what to believe. I want to know what someone's actual experience is. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we're seeing a rise in these communities being so, built so do you mean, so, so, Sorry for budging in, but uh, so do you okay. think uh, it, also, <laughs> it is also critical that uh, because consumers now have this voice and are able to uh, talk to each other and build community, whether or not a brand wants to, is that also a reason why it is becoming critical that brands actually take this initiative and support uh, their community? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I can give you a great example. You're familiar with IKEA, the furniture company? Yes. Yes. Um, one of the um, communities that I talk about in my book is a community called IKEA Hackers um, that was built without IKEA's knowledge or permission. Um, IKEA hackers, who knew, um, pride themselves in buying random things at IKEA and then mishmashing them into completely different kinds of objects. And so there's a whole community of, who knew, right? <laughs> there's a whole community of these people who, you know, want to share, this is how I built this, these are the items that I used, this is, you know, and so that community was built. IKEA didn't know anything about it. Um, and, um, but once IKEA found out about it, they very smartly left that community alone. They could have been total jerks and, you know, said you have to, you have to cease and desist and all of that. And I think there was some noise about that, but I think they've worked out their differences. But, um, what IKEA realized is this is, this is a good thing. People are talking positively about our brand in this way. This is a good thing. So we're going to leave it alone. And yes, 
you're going to find brands, whether they want a community or not, a brand is going, a community is going to be talk. people are going to be talking about your brand, no matter what you do now, because we have that ability. And so it's much better if you, you know, set up a house for your community to meet in um, than to let them go off on their own, because they're, they're going to do that. One way or another, a community is going to form. So it's better if the brand can actually be the person who says, great, have your community, we'll host it, it's here, um, and we're not going to try to control or manage you. So that was the first question. So, what was the next question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I forgot the next question as well. <laughs> so um, um, just to unpack what you just said, um, so if I understand correctly, there are two different facets that I see here. One is that whether or not brands uh, want it or like it, uh, communities will get formed. Uh, on the other hand is the fear that stops a lot of these brands from actually uh, allowing these communities to grow and thrive. So how do you address that fear? Uh, what do you tell them as to, you know, what is the ROI, let's say, for example, so it's a very, uh, I don't like that term per se, but uh, just for the sake of uh, 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 discussion, let's let's assume that, you know, what is it in, what is what are, What's uh, the ROI? Yeah. I'm not really wild about ROI yeah. either, but it helps. It just, it's a shorthand that everybody understands, right? It's the, you know, what's yeah. the return on the investment? Why, sh number one, why yeah. should we invest time and resource? Because it does, it costs money and it costs human resource. Um, and why should we take the risk of having a community? And I have this conversation a lot. Um, here's the thing that I do know. Um, most people at this point know they need to have a community. I mean, that's they know that intellectually because, I mean, they're reading the Wall Street Journal. They're reading the business papers. They know that they have to have a community. So the first question I'll ask a client is, well, why do you want one? You know, why do you want to have this community? Um, because I want to know what they think the ROI is going to be. And, you know, the, often I will get uh, – there are a couple of responses that are pretty standard. One is – well, we want people, we want a group of people that we can sell stuff to, right? I'm like, well, okay. Or I get a blank stare, or I get, well, because our competition has one. And I'm like, well, I understand those reasons, <laughs> but those really aren't going to sustain a community. Number one, if all of the only reason you're building a community is to be able to sell to it, they'll smell it a mile away, and it will never take off. Um, that's one of the things that when we at the top of the conversation where we're talking about communities that fail, that's one of the reasons they fail is you're building it because you want to get something from the community, and that's not going to work. Um, so then we talk about, you know, what are some of the ROIs? What can a community do that you desperately need? Um, number one, it is marketing. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Um, yeah, I can hear you. Okay. You held your phone out. I was like, can he hear me? <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest thing is it's marketing that for your company that is not for sale. You cannot buy peer-to-peer -peer marketing. I've watched companies try to do it. It may work for a little while, but at the end of the day, you cannot buy peer-to-peer -peer marketing. It's not for sale. So a community will give you that marketing reach. Um, your community becomes brand ambassadors for your company um, and can reach into um, markets and segments and places that you as a company cannot go. So there's that. 
Um, a, com a, a community can also be your research and development team. It's a grassroots research and development team. Let's say you're thinking about adding a new feature. I've watched GoPro do this. You, they're thinking about adding a new feature, so they they give it to their community to play with and think about and play around with. And usually what comes back to them is a far superior idea, concept, thing that than what they would have developed because they've given it to a grassroots research and development team. So by the time they're ready to actually roll it out publicly, it's a really good field-tested thing, widget, if you will. So a grassroots research and development team um, is another, you know, return on investment. Um, a hungry client base. I mean, once you have a community and they, you've built that kind of trust with them, they're waiting on the edge of their seats for whatever it is that's going to roll out. You are a perfect example. I bet you stand in line for whatever it is. Apple's going to roll out. You don't care that it's never been tested. You're ready. You're waiting. <laughs> you want that thing. You're right. <laughs> You are right. It doesn't matter. You don't really know what it even does, but you want it. <laughs> um, because Apple has built that relationship with you, and they've built that relationship and that reputation for whatever it is they roll out, you're going to like it. You know, you you might pick at it and push at it, but they're counting on that. They're counting on the fact that you are then going to feed back this is what's wrong with it, this is what it needs to do instead, or this is what is working, or this is what is fantastic. But no matter what, you're on the edge of your seat waiting for the next thing. Um, also, reduced customer-client attrition. I mean, you're not, you're because of your loyalty to Apple, you're not likely to go out and look for, you know, Something that's Windows-driven, you're just not going to do it. Harley-Davidson, same story. They total their motorcycle. They're not going to go look at another kind of motorcycle. I do my best work with those kinds of happy clients and customers. So do you. And that's who Apple's marketing to. They're not trying to convert me. They're marketing to you. Harley's marketing to their riders, you know, because they're counting on people like you and Harley riders they're the ones who are going to be doing the converting. You know, they're the, you're the one who's going to talk a Windows person or shame them, as you're probably more likely to do, <laughs> shame them into converting to, you know, being an Apple user. You know, that's the kind of stuff that's simply not for sale. You can't buy that. Apple can't buy that. Harley can't buy that. A brand can't buy that. So those are the kinds of things when I'm talking to companies that are kind of, I'm not really sure I want to do this, or I'm scared to do this. I'm like, okay, you can be afraid, but your competition is going to have these things. You know, your competition is not going to be afraid. And they are going to go out and build a brand community, and they are going to get this ROI. And by the time they get that ROI, it's too late for you. I know. So, so the next question that I had was um, around, you know, how do these communities become loyal and how do these loyal communities then become fiercely loyal? Okay. The way they become loyal um, is there's a model that I talk about. We don't have time for me to go through the whole model. But basically, um, a, a brand is looking for people, uh, users who are their widget, for lack of a better word. They're users of their widget, their motorcycle, their computer, their whatever. Um, 
who are already looking for a community. There are people out there who already have a need for a community, and there are ways that you can identify them. Again, we don't have time to go into that today, but there are ways that you can already find those people. I'm not a fan of being in the convincing business. You do not want to convince people to be in your community. You want to find people who are already looking for a community. And then the brand's responsibility is to bring three fundamental things to the table so that a community can form, and those things are connection points. People want to be connected not only to the brand, but they want to be connected to each other. Um, I did some digging as an aside. I did some digging into the happiness research that's out there, the things that make us happy. And what I found was the thing that makes us happy more than money, more than the pursuit of pleasure, meaningful connection and engagement. If you provide connection points for Apple users or Harley riders or GoPro users or whatever, um, you are you are starting to feed their happiness and their happiness factors. And once we find a source of happiness, we're not we're not likely to leave it. Um, and so the next thing that the brand brings to the table is support points. Again, they want support. You want support from Apple, but you want also want to be able to give and get support to each other as Apple users, right? I mean, that's what. The Apple Store is packed all the time because Apple users want to interact with each other and share stuff. Um, so you, the brand brings connection points. The brand sets up support points. Again, getting and giving support is part of meaningful connection and engagement, and that's a source of happiness. Um, and then the last piece that is on the brand's shoulders and responsibility is predictability. We need to know when our community meets. We need to know where to find them. We need to know what the rules are. We need to know how you get kicked out. We need that predictability. If it's too chaotic, we're busy. I don't have time to wait. You know, I don't have time to wonder when my community is meeting or what the rules are. I need to know what they are, and I need to know when it's going to happen, and I need to have that predictability in my world. So with those three things, um, and when those three things overlap with people who are already looking for a community, that's when community happens. People are looking for a community. Here's the right community structure. Blam, there's a community, right? Now, what differentiates just a community, and I'm not dissing just a community, it's hard. That, what I just described is hard work, really hard work, just to get to that point, just to get to that community point. So a lot of brand communities are right there, and they're happy right there. You know, they're making all those pieces work, and they're great. But if you want the fiercely loyal piece, where people have your brand tattooed on your arm, <laughs> the sticky on their computer, and all of the things that go with that, there's one more um, set of differentiators. I can tell a fiercely loyal community when I see three things. I see pride in the brand. They are proud. They have the hat. They have the bumper sticker. They have the tattoo. They wear the clothes. That's that's one indicator of fierce loyalty. So they're proud um, and feel pride in the brand. Trust. They not only trust the brand, they trust each other in the community. They trust their fellow community members. Um, so there's a deep trust there. And then the last um, differentiator for a fiercely loyal community is passion. People are in a passionate relationship with that community and with that brand. Again, 
Apple users are passionate. I mean, that's why you don't, you will, you will shame Windows users unabashedly because you are in a passionate relationship. You define yourself. Apple users, that one of the things, it's one of the ways they define themselves in the world. I am an Apple user. I am a Harley rider. I am a whatever. That's passion. I am in a passionate relationship with this brand. So those are the three differentiators from just a community and a fiercely loyal community. You will see pride, trust, and passion in a fiercely loyal community, and you usually don't see much of that in just a regular community. So interesting. So uh, I have two uh, different sets of questions uh, um, which come to my mind. So one is every single example that you that you've taken of uh, really fiercely com- loyal communities has been a, a B2C kind of an organization uh, structure. If you know what I mean. Right. It's about consumers. So. Is there a possibility or do you know of uh, any communities which are fiercely loyal but are in the business-to-business segment? Uh, where business you know, that are B2B? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually working with one of my clients that I – and one of – they're actually not clients. They're more like business partners that I work with is a company called Higher Logic. And they are B2B because they they have a user group. Um Higher Logic provides a community building platform and their market segment is associations. So they are not um, marketing straight to individual users. They are they market to associations. So there's Higher Logic, a business um, that markets to an association, which is also a business. So that's a B2B relationship and I see the way they handle their users group is just it's genius. Um, they again they have built a community. Their users group is a community. I spoke at their user group annual meeting. It's amazing to watch how those relationships roll out um, and the affinity. They, their users group is fiercely loyal. I, I have very little to teach them about that because their user group is fiercely loyal to higher logic. I mean, I listen to them and I've watched them go I and mean, how they talk about um, higher logic. They, they are, they have pride, they have trust, they have passion. So that's a business to business, um, example that I can share with you. Um, there are others, but that's the one that, that primarily comes, that comes to mind in a, in a really sharp, teachable way. Okay. So the second question that uh, came to my mind was uh, the fact that uh, all of this seems to be a lot of investment uh, uh, from the brand, right? So how relevant is it or how, how is it that small and medium organizations uh, also been, build communities? So is that also something that you have seen? Anyone do successfully? Oh, the mom and, uh, and pop coffee shop, the mom and pop coffee shop around the corner from my house has one of the fiercely, most fiercely loyal communities there is, and they're not even online. I mean, they, that is where people go to have coffee. They go there every day. You walk in, people know your name, they have cups, they have seats. I mean, it's like walking into Cheers, you know, the bar. I mean, they, that coffee shop has a fiercely loyal community, and they're not even online. And they don't, you know, they don't have any fancy bells and whistles. They just, you know what they do? they make their community members feel important. They recognize who they are, they know who their market segment is, and they make those people feel important. And they do the whole, the model that I just laid out. If I walked in and said, are you doing this model? They'd be like, what are you talking about? But they are. I've watched them. They do it. 
um, the neighborhood watch um, organization that is that I live in, the homeowners association that I live in that's got a neighborhood watch. Again, completely fiercely loyal. Do not have a lot of bells and whistles. There's no paid staff, but they just innately do it. So it can run the gamut from, you know, a neighborhood watch to a Fortune 100. Very interesting. So, so if, if, if you have to break down uh, for these uh, small business organizations as to, you know, who are not online, let's say, um, uh, you say that uh, you should make your customers feel um, uh, welcome and, you know, uh, treat them well. So apart from that, is there something else that uh, in terms of a tactic that they can do uh, in order to create? Because number one, uh, well, again, it goes back to it goes back to the model that I talked about, connection points. You know, there's a running store that um, they have people, they have made it a point. The running store has a huge running community. You don't have to be a customer of that running store to be a part of that community. Regular runs start and stop at that running store. There's a whole bulletin board of, you know, running events, people looking for running partners, um, trainers, people selling secondhand equipment. There's a whole community there that um, is built, and it, it doesn't matter whether they're customers, whether they're actually buying running shoes there or not. You can still, that is still a community gathering place for the running community the local running community. So they're built, what they've done is they've provided those connection points, those support points, and those predictability points. Like they have a list of the runs that start and stop at their store. Um, So that if I walk in and I want to go on a run on Tuesday at 4 o'clock, I know what the schedule is. Very interesting. So uh, I know we are uh, slightly uh, uh, ahead of uh, the time that we had on the uh, for the call. That's okay. But uh, before we go, uh, I'll just have a couple of questions. So one is, um, uh, you are your your CEO of your loyal uh, organization, right? So yeah. as a as a CEO, what have what were your toughest moments? Um, so I know that every business has its um, uh, back to the wall at some point in time, and how you react to it actually defines. Uh, the business that you become. So, what, has there been a moment like that already in your career? And if so, <laughs> only one. You, no, you think there's only been one? <laughs> well, there's this one which actually defines the trajectory for sure. Yes. <laughs> well, there have been many of those as well. I keep thinking I've had enough character building moments. Can I please be done with my character building moments as a CEO? Um, you know, as I grow. Um, there have been absolutely moments for me where I've had to make long-term, I have to choose, am I going to pursue the long-term viability of my company or am I going to pursue the short-term things that I know will pay the bills but may or may not actually help my company grow. And that's a terrifying place to be, and many small business owners find themselves there. You know, do I do the thing that's going to pay the bill today, or do I focus on the thing that is going to build long-term viability for my company? Um, and, you know, you have to do a little bit of both. It's a tight, it's a tightrope walk. Um, but if I take my eye off the long-term viability projects for my company, 
I will fail. And those are those are the scary moments when it's like I'm going to have to have faith that putting time and effort into these long-term growth prospects are actually what's going to keep my company growing and moving in the direction that I want it to move in. And that means that I have to take my eye off some of the more immediate projects at times, um, which is gives me heart palpitations. But I, it's, it's what you have to do as a CEO. You have to make those hard calls. I know. So I, I just wrote the post which kind of did well, uh, which was uh, all about making decisions. I said that's the only thing that uh, a CEO should be doing, just making choices. And you got to make the hard ones. you got to make the terrifying ones. You've got to make the ones that mean I'm going to have to call the power company this month and say, can we work something out? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you have to be willing You have to be willing to do that. If you want to own your own company, you got to be willing to do that. I know. So um, uh, the other question that I had was uh, uh, the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious, right? So this is a question that I ask all my guests, which is, uh, uh, when you uh, talk to a business uh, uh, or businesses or brands, what is it that is so obvious, so plain inside that people get it wrong that you are like, oh, why, why, why can't these people get it? So what is it that is so <laughs> obvious but yet? I try not miss? to be quite, quite so, you know, <laughs> direct about that. Um, and I think it's really it's the reason that I ask the question, why do you want a community? And I mo- that is the question that I most often see my uh, my my customers and clients struggle with early on. But it's the the answer to that question dictates everything else we do. And so that's the that's why I ask it at the top. Why do you want a community? What do you want it to do? Um, and a lot of times they can't answer, or they can't answer you know, clearly and succinctly. They haven't thought that through. Interesting. And until they do, so, uh, until they do, and until we get an answer, we can't we can't move forward on a community building plan. Very interesting. Okay. So um, thanks a lot for spending time with us, uh, Sarah. Uh, if you could just let people know where they can connect with you. Certainly. Um, you can find me at... Uh, www.fierce-loyalty.com. That's my website. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Robinson. I'm there a lot. Um, and um, I'm also on Facebook at Sarah Stevens Robinson is my Facebook um, account. So you can find me those places. Super. So thanks a lot uh, for talking to us and uh, all the very best for the for the new year. Yes, you too. <laughs> okay. Right. Super. Bye now. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious. Do share your thoughts, comments, questions and feedback to me by emailing me at mgr@rmukeshgupta.com. That is mgr@rmukeshgupta.com. If you liked the episode, please share your love by rating us or writing us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you are listening to the show. Also, share your love by subscribing to the podcast and recommending the show to your friends whom you think could benefit from the show. You can find out more about me and the show at www.rmukeshgupta.com 
that is www.rmukeshgupta.com we look forward to having you join us for the next episode of pushing beyond the obvious thanks keep calm and rock on <laughs>